Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 46, The Girls. The door was opened. Donald spent fully a minute rubbing his shoes on the mat, as diligently as if he had just come out of the cattle yard, and then Gibby led him in triumph up the stair to the drawing room. Donald entered in that loose, jointed way and stood, resisting Gibby's pull on his arm, his keen, hazel eyes looking gently around upon the company until he caught sight of the face he sought when with the stride of a sower of corn he walked across the room to Ginevra. Mrs. Sclatter rose. Mr. Sclatter threw himself back and stared. The latter astounded at the presumption of the youths, the former uneasy at the possible results. To the astonishment of the company, Ginevra rose, respect and modesty in every feature, as the youth, clownish rather than awkward, approached her, and almost timidly held out her hand to him. He took it in his horny palm, shook it hither and thither, sideways, like a leaf in a doubtful air, then held it like a precious thing he was at once afraid of crushing by too tight a grasp, and of dropping from too loose a hold, till Ginevra took charge of it herself again. Gibby danced about behind him, all but standing on one leg, but for Mrs. Sclatter's sake restraining himself. Ginevra sat down, and Donald, feeling very large and clumsy, and wanting to be not a wow, looked about him for a chair, and then first espied Mrs. Sclatter, went up to her with the same rolling, clamping stride, but without embarrassment, and said, holding out his hand, "'Who are ye, the knights, ma'am?' I swanna ye burnt your bonny face when I came in. A grand hoose like this o' yours, and I'm sure, man, it couldn't be o'er grand to fit yourself, but it's just some perplexin' to plain folk like me, as been used to mare room and less until tea. Donald was thinking of the meadow on the lorry bank. I was sure of it, remarked Mrs. Splatter to herself. One of nature's gentlemen, he would soon be taught. She was right, but he was more than a gentleman, and could have taught her what she could have taught nobody in turn. You will soon get accustomed to our town ways, Mr. Grant, but many of the things we gather about us are far more trouble than you, she replied in her sweetest tones, and with a gentle pressure of the hand, which went a long way to set him at his ease. I am glad to see you have friends here, she added. Only Ann, ma'am, Gibby and me. "'Excuse me, Mr. Grant, but would you oblige me? "'Of course, with me it is of no consequence. "'But just for habit's sake, would you oblige me "'by calling Gilbert by his own name? "'Sir, Gilbert, please. "'I wish him to get used to it.' "'You're well beat, ma'am. "'Well, as I was saying, Sir Gibby, "'Sir Gilbert, that is, ma'am, and myself, "'we hae can Miss Galbraith this lang time, "'being o' oh, the laird's ain't folk, as I may say.' "'Will you take a seat beside her, then?' said Mrs. Sclatter, and, rising herself, placed a chair for him near Ginevra, wondering how any Scotch laird, the father of such a little lady as she, could have allowed her such an acquaintance. To most of the company he must have looked very odd. Gibby, indeed, was the only one who saw the real Donald. Miss Kimball and her pupils stared at the distorted reflection of him in the spoon-bowl of their own elegantated narrowness. 
Mrs. Sclatter saw the possible gentleman through the loophole of a compliment he had paid her, and Mr. Sclatter beheld only the minimum which the reverse telescope of his own enlarged importance, he having himself come of sufficient humble origin, made of him. While Geneva looked up to him more as one who marveled at the grandly unintelligible than one who understood the relations and proportions of what she beheld. Nor was it possible she could help feeling that he was a more harmonious object to the eye both of body and mind when dressed in his corduroys and blue bonnet, walking the green fields, with cattle about him, his club under his arm, and a book in his hand. So seen, his natural dignity was evident. Now he looked undeniably odd. A poet needs a fine house rather than a fine dress to set him off, and Mrs. Sclatter's drawing-room was neither large nor beautiful enough to frame this one especially with his Sunday clothes to get the better of. To the school ladies, mistress, and pupils, he was simply a clodhopper, and from their report became a treasure of poverty-stricken amusement to the school. Often did Geneva's cheek burn with indignation at the small insolences of her fellow pupils. At first she attempted to make them understand something of what Donald really was, but finding them unworthy of the confidence, was driven to betake herself to such a silence as put a stop to their offensive remarks in her presence. "'I thank you, ma'am,' said Donald, as he took the chair. "'You're very con condescending.' Then turning to Geneva and trying to cross one leg over the other, but failing from the tightness of certain garments, which, like David, with saws, not similarly faulty armor, he had not hitherto proved. "'Well, ma'am,' he said, "'ye hain't a forgotten horny, I hope.' The other girls must be pardoned for t tittering, offensive as is the habit so common to their class, for the only being they knew by that name was one to whom the merest reference sets pit and gallery in a roar. Miss Kimball was shocked, disgusted, she, she said afterwards, and until she learned that the clown was there uninvited, cherished a grudge against Mrs. Sclatter. Geneva smiled him a satisfactory negative. I never read the ballant. "'About the worm, Langelin ruined the tree,' said Donna, making rather a long link in the chain of association. "'On thought of old that day, ma'am, when first she came doing the bray with my sister, Nissy and I, came over the burn till ye and ye gar my launch a boot we done owe my feet, and eh, ma'am, will you afore me there I see the blue lift again, and the girse just slowin' flamin' green, and then out as their busiest the wind asleep, and the birds saying, Ye need nane, o ye speck, I'm here, and it's my business. Eh, ma'am? When I think up o tea, it seems to me at the human heart closed. I the mad so sick a coffer cunning workmanship mine be a terrible precious like thing. Gibby behind Donald's chair seemed pausing light at every pore. But the rest of the company, understanding his words perfectly, yet not comprehending a single sentence he uttered, began to wonder whether he was out of his mind, and were perplexed to see Geneva listening to him with such respect. They saw a human offense where she knew a poet. A word is a word, but its interpretations are many, and the understanding of a man's words depends both on what the hearer is and on what is his idea of the speaker. As to the pure, all things are pure, because only purity can enter 
Geneva said little in reply. She had not much to say. In her world, the streams were still, not vocal. But Donald meant to hold a little communication with her, which none of them, except indeed Gibby, he did not mind Gibby, should understand. A head sick, a odd dream the other night, ma'am, he said, and I'll just tell you it. I thought I was doing in an awful kin o' a wheat bog with dry, gravelly like hills about it, and nothing upon them but a weeny short hunger like curse. And oot o' the mids o' the bog there grew just a tree, a sock. I think it was, but uncalled mace past cannon with age, and ruined the rauch kernlet trunk, oat was twisted, folds o' the ugliest, ill fodderest crater o' a serpent it ever was seen. It was just lathy to look upon. I could describe it to ye, ma'am, but it would only gar ye runkle your bonny brew, and Geneva had from the first been absorbed in listening and her brown eyes seemed to keep growing larger and larger as he went on. Even the girls listened and were silent, looking as if they saw a peacock's feather in a turkey's tail. When he ended, the tears rushed from Geneva's eyes. For bare sympathy, she had no perception of personal intent in the parable. It was long before she saw into the name of the Lady Knight, for she had never been told the English of Geneva. She was the simplest, sweetest of girls, and too young to suspect anything in the heart of a man. Oh, Donald, she said, I am very sorry for the poor worm, but it was naughty of you to dream such a dream. How's that, ma'am? returned Donald, a little frightened. It was not fair of you, she replied, to dream a knight of a lady, and then dream her doing such an unknightly thing. I'm sure if ladies went out in that way, they would do quite as well on the whole as gentlemen. I make nah doubt of it, ma'am, cried Donald, but ye see, dreams is six senseless things, at they winna be to help it, and that was how I dreamt it. Well, well, Donald, broke in the harsh, pompous voice of Mr. Splatter, who, unknown to the poet, had been standing behind him almost the whole time. You have given the ladies quite enough of your romancing. That sort of thing, you know, my man, may go do very well around the fire in the farm kitchen, but it's not the sort of thing for a drawing room. Besides, the ladies don't understand your word of mouth. They don't understand such broad scotch. Come with me, and I'll show you something you would like to see. He thought Donald was boring his guests, and at the same time preventing Gibby from having the pleasure in their society for the sake of which they had been invited. Donald rose, replying, Think ye say, sir? I thought I was odd. Scotland still. Here's Wells, up old Glashgar. But maybe, by my geography books, some odd-fashioned. Didn't ye understand, my ma'am? He added, turning to Geneva. Every word, Donald, she answered. Donald followed his host contented. Gibby took his place and began to teach Geneva the finger alphabet. The other girls found him far more amusing than Donald. First of all, because he could not speak, which was much less objectionable than speaking like Donald, and funny too, though not so funny as Donald's clothes. And then he had such a romantic history and was a baronet. In a few minutes, Geneva knew the letters, and presently she and Gippy were having a little continuous talk together, a thing they had never had before. It was so slow, however, as to be rather tearing. It was mainly about Donald, but Mrs. Splatter opened the piano and made a diversion. She played something brilliant, and then sang an Italian song in strelosious sound, revealing to Donald's clownish ignorance a thorough mastery of 
caterwauling. Then she asked Miss Kimball to play something, who declined, without mentioning that she had neither voice nor ear, nor love of music, but said Miss Galbraith should sing, for once in a way, as a treat. That little Scotch song you sing now and then, my dear, she added. Geneva rose timidly, but without hesitation, and going to the piano, sang to a simple old Scotch air. Before she ended, the minister, the late herd boy, and the dumb baronet were grouped crescent-wise behind the music stool. Three of them knew that the verses were Donald's. If the poet went home feeling more like a fellow in blue coat and fustian trousers, or a weaned genius of the tomb, I leave my reader to judge. Anyhow, he felt he had had enough for one evening, was able to encounter his work again. Perhaps also, when supper was announced, he reflected that his reception had hardly been such as to justify him in partaking of their food, and that his mother's hospitality to Mr. Splatter had not been in expectation of return. As they went down the stair, he came last and alone, behind the two whispering schoolgirls, and when they passed on into the dining room, he spilt out of the house and ran home to the furniture shop and his books. When the ladies took their leave, Gibby walked with them, and now at last he learned where to find Geneva. Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic.